Hi, my name is Dan Ariely, and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week, I will talk to one researcher about one project who will have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives. For more than a century, society has wrestled with moral, medical, and legal questions about the psychopathic personality. A growing body of research indicates that psychopathic disorders may have a genetic component, which can lead to the defense of, my genes made me do it. Walter Sinnott Armstrong, a professor of practical ethics in Duke University's Department of Philosophy, talks with Dan Ariely about testing for psychopathic personality traits and how we can protect the psychopath's potential victims. You are recently working on psychopaths. Yes, I'm fascinated by uh, this group of people. I mean, it's, it's less than 1% of the population. They commit over 30% of the violent crimes in our country, and they commit the worst violent crimes. And, but it's not just you're a psychopath or not. There's a continuum, right? So there's uh, some kind of scale, and there are people who score high even if they're not officially psychopaths. Well, that's a very controversial issue. Some people think it's actually a, a genetic change so that genes have produced malformations in certain cell types in the brain that produce a true psychopath. And other people might come to mimic that condition, but the true psychopaths are the ones that are that way because of genetics. Okay, but uh, regardless, there are people with psychopathic tendencies that we don't call psychopaths. So it's not just this 1% and 30% of crime, but there's actually, it's a even though that's huge, it's bigger than that. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people talk about psychopaths as CEOs of companies and things like that. Those people are not really psychopaths. They have psychopathic traits. Maybe some of them. Maybe some of them, sure. But almost none of them are above 30. I mean, the evidence that none of them are above 30 is two of the 30, 30, you mean what? I'm sorry. 30 is the cutoff in the psychopathy checklist that, uh, for being a psychopath, if you're 30 or above. There are 20 items. Yeah. Each item is scored 0, 1, or 2. So the maximum score is 40. To be a psychopath, you've got to get over... An official, an official An one. official psychopath. To get a badge, to be a member of the union, yeah. you have to get above 30. What's, what's the average for a faculty in the philosophy department? Oh, I'm not going to mention <laughs> the department in general, but uh, for the general population, it's around 4 uh, for women, maybe a little less. Uh, average uh, in the uh, medium security prison is going to be around 22, 23. Uh, so 30 is one standard deviation above the median for medium security prisons. And what, what are you trying to study about those people? Well, I find it fascinating what they do. I mean, they're obviously all over television. A lot of people are fascinated. But for me, the question really is, do they know that what they're doing is wrong and they just don't care about morality? Or do they not even know it's wrong? Do they just grow up in such a way that they can't tell which things are right and which things are wrong? So how do you, how do you separate those two? What you want to do is find out whether they have, are able to classify things. That's the first thing. You so you give them, them, you ask them questions, you say, hey, is murdering somebody right or wrong? Yeah. So that's the first step. But then you want to know whether they really believe what they're saying, because another trait of psychopathy is being manipulative and conning in a pathological way. Yeah, I mean, why would they ever tell you that, yes, murdering is, is, is wrong? Why, right. would they, why would they admit to that? Especially because most of the subjects we study are in prison, and they had lawyer after lawyer who told them what to say. I see. So you, you're actually fighting. So first of all, the, the psychopathic 
uh, people who are not in prison, who might not tell you the truth for whatever reason, and then these people are actually advised by lawyers not to say something that could act against them at some, at some point. So it's kind of really hard to get them not to lie. So what, what do you do? We have to use tricky measures developed by social psychologists to try to get at implicit moral attitudes. And you've probably heard of implicit racial attitudes that people have towards... Uh, so, towards so this is something where you, where you show somebody a, a description of two people and you say, is this person smart or stupid or white or black and, and so on, and you look at the reaction time that people have for consistent versus inconsistent judgment, and you can figure something out about their implicit association that they, that they have. So what, what do you do in regard to psychopaths? Well, you see whether they have an implicit association between uh, something that's generally considered to be immoral and something that's bad and to be avoided. So, so you do the same thing as the implicit attitude test? So you sure. say if something is good, how do you do it? We have six different tests. One of them is like the implicit attitude test, but the one that I think that I like best is, we, is called the affect misattribution procedure. And we show them pictures very fast, so it's subliminal. They cannot even tell what the pictures are. Or Do they know that something happened on the screen or yes. not even that? Yeah, they can see a flash on the screen, but they can't tell you what word it is or what it's a picture of. And then shortly after that, you show them a Chinese character. And you say, do you think that Chinese character stands for something good or something bad? Or do you think that Chinese character is pleasant or unpleasant? And the affect that they feel from the subliminal prime carries over and affects the way they classify the following figure. So that happens to all people, right? We have, we have some kind of impression of the subliminal prime. Even though we can't say what it is, it's still having an effect on our processing. And then we attribute it to the thing that comes next. Uh, but you could do it with... The psychopath, and you see whether it uh, changes uh, their evaluation of the Chinese characters. And? Exactly. And because it's subliminal, they can't fake it. Uh, and what, we're, what we are getting... And the lawyers don't uh, mind, probably, this test. The psychopaths actually love doing our research with us. They'll volunteer, so the lawyers won't stop them. So we can get them in our test. And uh, what we're finding is that there are differences between psychopaths and normals. Uh, in, in that and other tests, they seem to not be showing implicit attitudes against doing something wrong. So if you ask them, you know, you're coming out of prison, you're uh, up for parole, they'll say, oh, of course I think rape is wrong, theft is horrible, murder, oh no, that's disgusting, I feel horrible about what I did. But then you test them and they really aren't feeling any of that, they're just saying it. Nothing. So, so what does it, uh, and how do you separate from the fact that they are, they don't know that it's bad? Versus don't feel anything bad. How do you separate those two? Well, I want to know what you mean by no. Because they're able to give you the right answer, but they don't have an implicit aversion to it. They don't feel any conflict, for example, when they say that murder is good. That doesn't show up in the areas of the brain that are associated with cognitive conflict. And, and what is, are they not able to do anything bad? Not ever any, react to anything negative? Oh, no. Psychopaths actually react to some things uh, that we consider to be bad. For example, if you cheat them or try to give them less than half, and so they treat, feel that they're being treated unfairly, they will react with a lot of anger. I see. And what about other things like dirt or pollution or things that are kind of just negative in some other way but not moral? How do they feel about those? No, no effect whatsoever? So actually, I don't know that that's ever been tested, but there is a type of disgust that they do feel. 
For example, when pedophiles come into the prisons, it's often the psychopaths who kill them. And when you ask them, like, why did you do that? They say, because what that person did was disgusting. That was horrible. I but do they, do they do it in more than 30% of the case? Or is, this, is it, you know, they do it a lot, but less than uh, other cases? Those are all anecdotes. I mean, a lot of the research that I'm telling you now <clears throat> is in very preliminary stages. But, but the basic conclusion from this is you're saying that these people, uh, the, the true psychopath, don't know that what they're doing is, is bad. They could, they could repeat it when needed, but they don't actually feel any negative aspect when they are exposed to uh, these horrific behaviors. Exactly. Herbie Cleckley said they know the words but not the music. Uh, and another analogy which is often drawn, Kent Keel draws this analogy in his book, The Psychopath Whisperer, uh, that it's kind of like an equation. D does E equal MC squared? I, well, I, I hear this is the case. That's what I hear. But now explain what that means. I'm not even sure what it means. Why is the speed of light squared? I never did understand that. Well, if, if you don't understand it, how can you really believe it? You can say it. You can give an answer on a test. But there's a level at which you don't really believe it at all because you don't even know what you're saying. So most of us are uh, physics psychopaths uh, in, exactly. in this regard. So what are the implications of this? What are the, what are the implications for think of prison as corrective facilities, thinking about the theory of punishment. What, what, what do we do with these findings that say that they don't really understand that these things are bad? Well, I think there are both practical and theoretical implications. Theoretically, philosophers have talked for millennia about moral judgments, and they don't really distinguish explicitly saying something, saying it and understanding it, from saying it, understanding it, and feeling it. And I think philosophers who talk about, and all theorists about morality, need to get a lot more fine-grained. But, but do you think that people who are psychopaths should be forgiven more easily, given less, I mean, if we can't fix what they have, and it's not, they don't understand what's going on, and they can't possibly understand, should we be less harsh to their crimes and, and offer lo shorter prison sentences? not shorter prison sentences because they're going to get out and they're going to hurt people. But we shouldn't view them as responsible for what they do. I think we should view them more as like someone who has untreatable tuberculosis. We can't let them out into the general population because it's going to be too dangerous. But we don't have to view it as their fault in order to say that we need to keep them locked up. And you're saying there's 1% of the people like this? Less than 1% of the population uh, has this condition. And what do we do with people who are on this scale but not psychopath? Do we, do we treat them as, do we forgive them more frequently as well? So there's not a clear answer to that because they're on the scale but they're below the cutoff. What we want to do with our tests is to find out whether they really do have this implicit moral attitude or not. And if they don't, and if it's not their fault that they don't, then they're going to be no more responsible than a five-year-old child who doesn't really understand what they're doing. I find this very depressing. I find it very liberating because they commit over 30% of the violent crime. And if we can understand the condition, if we can diagnose it accurately, right now they get out on parole earlier and more often than other people. And I think we have to stop that because they get out and hurt people. These tests are going to enable us to more accurately predict what's going to happen with the various decisions that we make. Yeah, I guess the, I, I find it uh, incredibly optimistic in our ability to detect who they are and basically using this test as a lie detector test so they can't 
get out as easily, but this idea that there's a group of people who cannot understand uh, moral judgment, and therefore we can never hope that they will be um, educated in any way, that I find incredibly uh, disturbing. And, and the idea, okay, so we have this cutoff of 30, but what do we do with the 27, the 25, what do we do with... Uh, th that I find, it's, it's incredibly challenging to figure out what, what do we do with this scale of people who don't understand some aspects of moral behavior, and if we don't hold them accountable, what, what do we do then? There's only one treatment program that has ever been developed that works. Michael Caldwell and the Mendota Juvenile Correctional Facility in Wisconsin has figured out how to help these people uh, live lives without hurting others. And he has a program that works, and uh, it, has, it more than pays for itself 10 times over uh, within seven years. And yet, the state of Wisconsin is cutting back the budget. A lot of the challenges are not theoretical, they're not scientific, they're political because people just want to ignore them and throw them into prison and forget about them. Whereas if we can understand the condition better, we might be able to treat it and that'll be better for them. It'll also be better for their potential future victims. This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with Dan Ariely of Duke University. To further expand your understanding of dishonesty, irrationality, and other human quirks, go to danarielli.com.